morning. It's great to see everybody who's here. We've got a wonderful crowd. We've got so many visitors. And we've got familiar faces who have left who are back. And we just want to say that we love you. And we're just thankful for another Lord's Day together. Before services started, I was asking individuals. I was kind of giving them a hint as to what we were about to talk about this morning. And what I asked a few individuals is I asked them, I told them, we're going to talk about the subject that Jesus taught on more than any other subject during his ministry. Do you know what that is? I got a few different responses. I had some people, they said, hope for a better future. Other people, they said, forgiveness or mercy. Other people said love. In fact, we've sung a lot about love this morning. This sermon is about love, and we're going to read about it in a rather interesting place. The Bible says in Romans chapter 11, verse 22, Therefore consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity, but towards you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. The Apostle Paul gives us a rather interesting message. He presents to us a dichotomy. He presents to us a twofold picture, a comparison and contrast of God's character. He says, there is the goodness of God, and then there's the severity of God. Everyone in this room, I'm assured of and confident, we've heard about the goodness of God. In fact, we sing about it. If that isn't love, then you tell me. Really, when we think of love, our mind should go to the golden text of the Bible. This is what Brother Tommy calls, this is Christian ABCs. You've heard this verse before. In John chapter 3 and verse 16, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This sermon is about love, and this verse describes God's love for the world. He says, God, he so loved the world. He loved the very people that didn't love him back. And this one phrase in the Bible, so loved, I can't comprehend it. It's above my understanding, really. This is what we call the good news. This is the gospel. The good news is that Jesus Christ was offered for the sins of the whole world, and God made a love-filled sacrifice. But in order to have good news, you have to have bad news. And before there was good news, there was bad news. The bad news is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3 and verse 22. Everyone's sin, including you and including me. And we learn in Romans 6 and 23, the wages of sin is death. When we sin, we earn death spiritually. Within this verse, the golden text of the Bible, no doubt we learn of the good news of salvation, but what also hinted at is the severity of God. Because Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, 
that whoever believes in him should not perish. Should not perish. When you talk about should, there's a possibility of could. So even in this verse, there is a hint of the severity of God, and that is hell. For just a little while this morning, we're going to talk about love. The focus is hell. And we're going to see how these two ideas are actually not disconnected. They're actually connected. Love and hell, they go together. And that might sound odd, I understand. But we'll see more, hopefully, as this goes on. When we speak about hell, we speak of the afterlife. What may be interesting or what may be something you've already seen is this diagram that depicts the afterlife. When people die today, they don't go immediately to heaven or immediately to hell. The Bible says in Hebrews 9.27, For it is, appended, it, is, it is appointed for men to die once, then the judgment. Everyone's going to die unless you're alive and Jesus comes back. Death is defined in James chapter 2 and verse 26. It's the separation of the body and the spirit. When our spirit goes back to God. When people die today, they don't go to heaven or hell. They go to this place called the Hadean realm. In the Old Testament, this place was called Sheol. S-H-E-O-L. Hades is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Sheol. It's the same place, really. We learn in the Bible that this place, the Hadean realm, it's divided into two different categories. There is paradise, and there is Tartarus, or torments. And there is a great gulf fixed in between these two places. Now, what we need to understand is that Hades is not hell. Hades and hell is not the same place. There are five points that we're going to quickly see that proves they're two different places. Number one, before Jesus died on the cross, just like the song we sang, he promised the thief next to him that he would accompany him in paradise. The Bible says that in Luke chapter 23 and verse 43. This place is also called Abraham's bosom in Luke chapter 16 and verse 22. On the day of Pentecost, Peter quotes a psalm that proves that Jesus, when he died, he conquered Hades. He didn't conquer hell. Though he did, he was actually in Hades. That Old Testament word is Sheol. We know that these are different places because point number three stresses that the word for Hades and the word for hell, they're different words. They're different places. It's not the same. Number four, we see that after Jesus was raised from the dead, he told Mary Magdalene to not cling to him because he had not yet been to heaven. John chapter 20 and verse 17. That goes to show Jesus, from the time he died to the time he was resurrected, he did not go to heaven. He didn't go to heaven until 40 days after he was resurrected. He spent those days with the disciples. Acts chapter 1, 9 through 11. If we can understand that Jesus didn't go to heaven when he died, that'll help us see Christians don't go to heaven when we die today either. We have part of this to continue. 
There is going to be a judgment day. When Jesus comes back, everybody who's ever lived is going to be resurrected. And then there will be the judgment. Some will go to heaven and some will go to hell. So the judgment day for those people who have died already, they're in Hades. Paradise is, you could liken it to heaven, but it's not heaven. Torments or Tartarus, you could liken it to hell, but it's not hell. The difference between the Hadean realm and heaven and hell is that in the Hadean realm, only your spirit goes there. Only your spirit goes there. But when Jesus comes back, we get a resurrection, we get new bodies, and heaven and hell is your new body and your spirit wherever we go forever. So the day of judgment is not necessarily to answer the question, where? But to answer the question, why? To the people who have already died. So thus we see these places, they are not the same. So we want to begin this study Answering this question, is hell real? Is hell real? That might kind of sound like a no-brainer, but I can assure you it's not. Dr. George Herbert Betts, he is a, a professor at the University of Chicago. He had a poll that he gave out to his students of theology. To be a theology major is to study Christianity. So he asked them a very simple question. He asked them, is hell real? Out of all 200 people, 76% of them said they did not believe in hell. 13% of them said they weren't sure if hell was real. And 11% said they believed in hell. The reason why this is interesting is because they all claim to study the book. They all claim to read and study the Bible. In fact, that's why they're in college. So how can you read about a place the Bible talks about and you major in it and you walk away and you think, ain't real? Or I don't know. How can only 11% believe in hell? I can assure you, this is not uncommon. A lot of us got friends that go to different churches. The Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't believe in hell. Some of us have friends who are Jehovah's Witnesses. So this is not just happening in the college sector, it's happening in the religious sector among different religious groups. Not everybody believes in hell. The reason why this is interesting to me is that out of the 12 times the word hell arises in the New Testament, Jesus referred to hell 11 times. There are dozens of references in Jesus' parables and his direct preaching that spoke of the eternal punishment of hell. And in fact, Jesus taught twice as much about hell than he did about heaven. This was Jesus's, I don't know if I can use this word, this was his favorite sermon because he taught it the most. So, with this being true, we gotta ask a few questions. If hell isn't real, then why would Jesus suffer for our sins? Why even come to earth? Why save us from our sins if there was no punishment? If no punishment existed, how do you save someone? Especially if there's nothing to be saved from. That doesn't even make sense logically. And we see 
Why would Jesus preach about hell and warn us about it if it wasn't real? If hell's not real, Jesus is a liar. He sinned because he lied. He's a hypocrite because he taught other people not to lie. And he can't be the son of God. So really, whether or not Jesus is the son of God, rides or dies on whether hell is real. Because he preached that it was. And he warned people that it was. So we conclude that hell is real. Now, before we get into talking about what hell is like, what can help us understand what hell is like is we talk about what Hades is like. Remember, Hades and hell is not the same place. But we learn of this in Luke chapter 16, verses 43 through 25. You've heard about this story. This is Lazarus and the rich man. Lazarus was a poor man. He was a beggar. He sat outside the rich man's house every day begging for food. He had ulcers or sores on his outside, on his body. And so these dogs would come over and they would lick at his sores. And really when you see him, he's totally in despair. He's suffering. He's not having a good life. But then you got this rich man. He's lived. He's got everything he wants. He's taken care of. And all that good stuff. Well, they both die. And what's interesting is this. The rich man on earth ends up being the poor man in the afterlife. The poor man on earth ends up being the rich man in the afterlife. And here we're going to clue at some of the things these men experienced. The rich man, he went to torments. And Lazarus, he went to paradise. This is what the Bible says in verse 23. And being in torments, the rich man in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off. And he saw Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. He's saying, You lived the best life, you were taken care of. You gotta remember that. But now you're suffering. Lazarus, he suffered. And now he's at rest. Within this verse, we learn a few things about the afterlife. In the afterlife, you can see. The rich man, he could see Lazarus. He could even talk. He spoke to Abraham. He could even hear. Abraham spoke back to him. He even had the sense of taste. He could taste. He was thirsty. He needed a sip of water. In fact, he begged for a drop of water from this man's tongue. You ever been thirsty? I was so thirsty yesterday, I was so dehydrated, I had to go to the gas station and grab some water. Have you ever been so thirsty during sports that you thought a coach was trying to kill you? Me too. I've never been this thirsty to beg another man that I could get some water off his tongue. This man's, he's in bad shape. He's suffering. He, he can feel the heat. He can feel the fire. 
And you know what? Perhaps the worst part, he can remember. He can remember. He can remember what his life used to be like. And all of the mistakes in his life. Oftentimes over the last year and nine months and ten days of preaching here. Some people ask me, do you miss Oakdale? And I say no. The reason why I don't miss Oakdale, I lived 19 years of my life in that town. When I drive down this road and I drive down that road, I remember I sinned there, I sinned there, and the party was over there, and we did that stuff over there. I don't like remembering that. It's got to be the same way with all of us. The rich man could remember all his past mistakes. And what this teaches us and reminds us is that you and I are making memories that will last forever. Are our memories filled with serving God or are they filled with serving sin? The memories that they will make us happy when we reflect on them or memories that will cause us to have guilt forever. We've got to remind ourselves of our lives and how short it is, just like the rich man experienced. This is enough, though, to talk about what Hades is like. Hades, you got all your senses. You can see, you can hear, you can taste, you can feel, you can remember. But we want to talk about what hell is like. Hell is like fire and brimstone. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10, the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Chapter 21 and verse 8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Hell is filled with fire. I don't know about you. I don't want to die. But if I wanted to plan on how I wanted to die, I'd probably die in my sleep. You wouldn't feel a thing, I'd imagine. One of the worst ways of dying, no doubt for me, is thinking of dying by fire. Fire is something that all of us hate just instinctually. When you're little and you touch something that's hot, you learn from the rest of your life, this is not good. I don't want this at all. Just to give a subtle illustration about how much people hate fire, tomorrow marks the anniversary for the memorial. The memorial is probably a more appropriate word for 9-11. Tomorrow is the memorial of 9-11 when the Twin Towers in New York City fell down when they were attacked by a terrorist attack. There were people that day, they woke up, they went to work just like any other day. When the plane hit the tower, it hit an actual spot in the tower that there were people above it that were trapped higher that couldn't get down. And so some of them, they were stuck. This fire, it was so hot it drove them to do the unthinkable. They had a decision. 
Do I stay in this room and die by fire, or horrible, horrible? You know what we would do to get out of fire? That's an example. That's how bad a fire is. The problem with this fire, it never ends. This fire never ends. But it doesn't stop there. If this were enough, hell, you wouldn't want to go there, and neither would any of us. If only what was fire. But it goes on. Jesus said there is the worm that does not die. In Mark 9, 43, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell. Into the fire that shall never be quenched. Where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. There's always, there's already a natural thing or fear in the hearts of humans, especially girls. Don't like bugs. None of us like bugs. Really. I don't know anybody who likes hanging out with bugs. The Bible says there's some worms in hell. And they don't die. And it sounds like it's just filled with them. It goes on to say, In hell there is wailing, weeping, and gnashing of teeth. In Matthew chapter 13 and verse 41, The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. I don't know about y'all. I got real sensitive ears. Back in Oakdale, where the building is positioned, there's a railroad track that goes up and down. So some of us, a lot of us, after services or before services, we hang out there. And every time a train would come by, you'd see me and little Tuxton Trent both going like this, because it hurts so bad. Another time at Oakdale, we were having something going on after service, and you know how there, there's a lot of people there. Well, there was a little girl, Addison Wood. We're all talking, everyone's minding their own business in their own groups. She has her hand by the bathroom door and it got open and she stuck it in here. And it got shut on her. The cry was so loud, I literally remember dropping to my knees because I just couldn't bear it. Hell is filled with those kinds of screams. And it is not a place any of us want to be. Hell is also described as a place of outer darkness. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 11, And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here's another quick story about me growing up. I was scared of the dark. Maybe you were too. I was so scared of the dark, and I thought the dark was like a punishment. I remember as a little boy having to time when I was going to run through the hallway at night because I was just so scared. Then I turned 23, and then it stopped. I got over it. I got over my fear of the dark. The dark is actually a form of punishment. We know this in the prison system. When you have someone in, I can't think of the word, it's solitary confinement, I think that's it. You have people who, they're put in a room all day, all night, no lights. They start to go crazy. They start to lose their mental faculties and their senses. 
The Bible talks about a hell being a place in outer darkness, something very similar. Now, one thing that is overlooked is that hell is separation from God. A lot of times people say, God is everywhere. That's not true. It's not true. God is not everywhere. The Bible makes clear God's not in hell. In 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9, in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Now, hell is this. It is fire and brimstone. The worm does not die. There is weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth, outer darkness, and separation from God. The first time anyone has experienced this kind of separation from God. It's all this forever. Forever. Now, some people in the religious world, they go, hell's not real. And if they do say that hell is real, they'll go over here and they'll say, but it's not forever, though. It's not forever, though. This is really important. This is the only way I can explain this, folks. When I was little, I got the belt. I used to get some pretty good spankings with the belt. Now, I don't know how it is about you, but I can tell you this about me. I can take a very bad belt with it. If it ends. If I know it's going to end, I get through it. I can't get through a spanking that won't end. So how we view and understand hell, it's going to affect how you live and how I live. It's going to affect how eager we are to share the gospel with that house and that house and that house and this house right here. If you have people, they just think they're in for a little fire for a second and then they're destroyed... I can take a little fire for a second. I can't take it forever, though. And I think none of us can. The Bible is clear that hell, how long will hell last? It says everlasting fire, everlasting punishment, eternal condemnation, everlasting destruction, eternal fire. Well, then some real smart people, they came up, and they started to say, you know what, that word for eternal, I am not. That don't mean forever. That just means until it's done. So here's the question. Does Ionios speak of the duration of punishment forever, unending, or is it the completion of punishment, total destruction? Zap. That's the question. We get a clue from Jesus in Matthew 25 and verse 46. And these will go away into everlasting Ionios punishment. But the righteous into eternal Ionios life. In the scholarly world, they try and make a big deal. Eternal versus everlasting. Eternal means forever. So eternal life in heaven, that's forever. But everlasting, that ain't forever. The problem with that view is we learn those are two different English words. It's the same Greek word. Hell is forever, just like heaven is forever. But men try to come up with theories and doctrines that get around and make their conscience feel better. Hell is forever. In fact, here is the easy-to-read version written for second graders. In 2 Thessalonians 1 and 9, it says, 
they will be punished with a destruction that never ends. That's pretty clear and straightforward. Hell is forever. Hell is forever. Here are verses. I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't prepare you, though, for their rebuttal. Here's a verse they would use. Our friends who are Jehovah's Witnesses, they believe in annihilationism. You will be zapped away. Hell is not forever. They would use this verse. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So they go, of course hell is not forever. You're going to get destroyed. Destroyed pains. You're going to be destroyed in fire. That's what they'd say. Not so fast. In the Old Testament, the Bible said that Moses, God spoke to Moses through the burning bush. God was able to inflame a bush and not devour it. Don't you think he could do that to a body? Could he set a bush on fire and not destroy it? Could he not do that with a body? He could. This argument really doesn't hold much weight. Well, what we need to look at quickly is this, because it's very, very likely. We started this lesson, this is a lesson about love, and we've been talking about hell and hell and hell and hell, and how bad it is. It's likely, we may be thinking this, if eternal means without end, and if eternal describes punishment, then how can a loving God punish people without end? Such a God seems unfair, unjust, cruel, and unloving. This is the moral argument. How can a loving God do such a thing to people? Well, we need to look at the criminal justice system to help us understand this. In the criminal justice system today, your sentence is not based on the time it took to perpetrate the crime. One of the most common crimes today, unfortunately, is when people shoot up schools. Horrible. Horrible. There are stories of people killing double-digit individuals in about a minute, depending on the gun. Does that mean this person goes to jail for a minute? No. Obviously, we see you go to prison based on how serious the crime is. It's the same thing with hell. This, in fact, teaches us just how much God hates sin. That it's forever. It will be punished forever if it's not repented of and forgiven by the blood of Christ. The existence of hell does not reveal God's hatred for man, but God's hatred of sin. I'm going to summarize this quote. Basically, what this quote says is this. God is holy, he is righteous, he is pure, he cannot dwell with sin. He told people he was going to punish sin. And if he doesn't punish sin, he's a liar. God has to punish sin. He doesn't punish people because he hates them. He punishes them because the sin that they have has separated them from him. And because he's holy, he can't just overlook it. He'd be a liar because he said he was going to punish it. And if he doesn't punish it, then he's a sinner and he can't be God. That's 
why God punishes sin the way he does. He will never make any one of us, he will never force us to go to heaven. All the people who go to hell will go there because they chose. And you choose by not choosing God. That's how we overcome the moral arguments. What we need to see is that God takes no pleasure in condemning people to hell. The Bible says in Ezekiel 18, 23, Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die? Says the Lord God. Verse 32, For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Chapter 33 and 11, Say to them as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. This doesn't say hell, but there's one way we know it's talking about hell, because dead people can't turn and repent. He's obviously talking about spiritual death. God said, I have no pleasure in the death, the spiritual death of humans. No pleasure at all. So this isn't fun for us. This isn't fun for God. What we need to remind ourselves is that God's love for man is made fully manifest in hell because he demonstrated his love sending Jesus so that we don't have to go there. That's how all this is about love. Our faith was eternal hellfire. We had no hope. We had no help. But then God sent his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It was love, just like he sent. This is why Jesus came. But we need to make clear, despite God's sacrifice offering for sin, not everyone will be saved. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. We've got other religious friends. Some say there's no hell. And then they also say everyone's going to heaven no matter what. That's not true. Jesus would be a liar. He said there are few who find the way of eternal life. He's either lying or he's not. And if he's lying and everyone's going to heaven, he's not the son of God. He lied. He sinned. He's just like us then. Not everyone will be saved. So we're going to close with answering this last question. Who is hell for? Who is hell for? I don't want to go to hell. It's a horrible place. We all want to help each other get to heaven. But who's going to hell? The Bible says in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41, that he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Have you ever heard someone say, oh, yeah, he's going to the devil's hell. That's because... Hell was not made for man. Man was not intended to go to hell. It was built for the devil. Hell was created for the devil. But many other people will follow the devil because they follow him on earth. 
and they don't follow God here on earth. This is a no-brainer. We know that hell is for the devil and his angels. And we also know that hell is for wicked people. Matthew 13, 49 through 50. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Of course we know hell is for wicked people. It ain't for good people, some say. This is for all the murderers and the rapists and the child molesters. This is for Hitler and people who kill millions of people. So this should not be a surprise to us. But what is a surprise is when you look at all of the different sins, the Bible says it's worth it. In 1 Corinthians 6, Galatians 5, and Revelation 21, we see a rather lengthy list of sins that lead to hell. There's fornication, idolatry, adultery, homosexuality, sodomy, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. He says, this list is so long, I can't even fit them all there. And the like. Stuff that's lifeless. Revelation says the cowardly. Did you know being cowardly was a sin? Revelation 21 and 8 says, cowards go to hell. The unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars. Whoa, 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 whoa. But I lied for a good reason. I lied for a good reason. All liars. All. Even those who think they're lying for good. Who is all for? This is a surprise, folks. Good people. Good people. Here's what the Bible says. Acts 10 and verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. He was devout. He prayed. He gave to the poor. This is a good guy. We know a lot of people that are like this. But watch what Peter says in the next chapter. He says... How Cornelius told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose name is, surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. Do you know what that implies? He prayed to God, he feared God, and he donated to the poor, and he was still not saved. Why else would a preacher need to tell him what to do to be saved if he was already saved? These good deeds didn't save him. Do you know what he was told to do? And Peter commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. Baptism is how good people become righteous people. And how their sins are forgiven. This is probably to me the most difficult part of the whole sermon. You know people, and I know people that fit this description. They may even be better people than us. But the Bible said they're still lost if they're not baptized. 
You know why this is so troubling to us? It's because not all of us are good people. It would be a lot more easy to accept if all of us were just outstanding, outstanding law-abiding citizens. But we're not. The only difference between us and them is that we got baptized. Not all people will go to heaven. Not even just people who are good. To finish up, religious people will not go to heaven. Not all of them. Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me or confesses, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. They're, these people, it's the day of judgment. They get in, and they're knocking on the gates of heaven, and they're not let in. And Jesus said, I never knew you guys. Yeah, you confessed me. Yeah, you believed in me. But you practiced sin. Lawlessness is sin. And sin is lawlessness. 1 John 3 and 4. And there are going to be people in the day of judgment. But God, I went to Africa. I preached in Africa. I suffered for your name. I was kicked out of my home. I gave up everything and followed you. I never knew you. You who practice lawlessness. We don't want to be there. We don't want that to be us. The last group, uncaring Christians. And I'm going to read all the verses for the sake of time. Jesus gives this parable. There is this picture. There are sheep and there are goats. The sheep are separated from the goats, and the sheep are God's people. And the goats, they're rejected. And Jesus explains why they were rejected. He says, I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was naked and you did not clothe me. I was suffering in prison. You did not visit me. And as much as you did to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And, and as much as you did not do to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did not do it to me. So when Christians don't take care of other Christians, he says in verse 46, these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. That's why it's so important this morning, some of us in the business meeting are talking about how to take care of Christians who are in a situation where they can't take care of themselves. Because we're commanded. And we ought to because they're our brethren our brothers and sisters. We want to close with this. Hell does not have to be a place for you. And it does not have to be a place for me. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3 and 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants everyone to be saved. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 3 for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And he did this by sending Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, 
that whoever believes in him should not perish, perish, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Maybe you're here and you've not become a Christian. Jesus could come back today. He could come back or, or he could come back at any second. Are you ready? Am I ready? The Bible says if you want to become a Christian, all you got to do, you got to hear God's word. You got to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You have to repent and change the way you live. Not just before being a Christian, but after. We got to confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and we've got to be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. Folks, this is a love story. God went through all of his suffering so that we wouldn't go to hell. We shouldn't go to hell because he gave his very best so that we would not. Maybe you're here and you're already a Christian and you need help with sin or like to confess sin. Please come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.